people teams and HR teams are completely driven by employee happiness. So if our employees are leaving or employees are complaining, we're not doing a good job. And I don't think that should necessarily reflect always on like the executive team. I think HR needs to take, uh, yeah, we should own that a little bit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Break the Wheel. I'm David Murray with Confirm here with Lauren Kester. Hi. Ah, how you doing? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Good. Good to have you. Wonderful people leader. I've, I've worked with you in the past. You've been doing amazing work at various companies in the past. And one of the reasons why I'm excited to have you on the show in particular is because this empathy, transparency, like full human connection vibe, if you will, is something that I think just needs to be out there more and more in the people space. Mm -hmm. So Agreed. Right. So glad to explore and dive in. So let's start with Uncork and Unwind. Today's wine is from France. It, this is some people who watch every episode know that I had another France wine like a couple weeks ago, but there is a reason um, because I like wine from France. Well, you're <laughs> um, I'm going to France, but that's not the case. <laughs> I know. I, I've been there before. And je parle français un peu. Un peu. Um, <laughs> the French people are like dying inside. <laughs> um, but speaking of France, has the big quit reached France? A recent survey found that in one in four people in France are looking to quit their jobs in the next two years as they seek better pay and better benefits. Flexible hours, a four-day working week, and a sense of purpose are just some of the things that employees are looking for in a job. And if they feel like they're not appreciated, they're more prepared than ever to jump ship. What are your thoughts on that? I love a four-day work week, uh, for sure. I feel like if you're not happy, don't be where you are, right? Like, there's always going to be a company or a culture that fits you. Like, please don't get mad, employers past and present. But I, I'm a big believer in a job is just a job, right? Like, your career is the path that you're following, but the company you're affiliated at the time is just like the company, right? Like you need to put a roof over your head and you need to eat. Your mission should be your mission. And so if you're not happy where you are, quit, go somewhere else, find somewhere that like pleases you, right? Like go for it. Okay. I love that. You know, there's a lot of, um, uh, I want to say, I don't want to say TikTok backlash, but there's a lot of folks on, I've seen on TikTok in the last several years who are embracing this like a job is a job like yes you know you want to find something that's meaningful and purposeful whatever but also a lot of people don't have that opportunity sometimes being able to find a place with meaning and purpose is really just a sign of privilege so i appreciate that yeah and i just sort of feel like you're not going to be happy with every single thing a company does right there's always going to be like the peaks and the pits and so if you can do it better or you feel like you can like change the world, you should try to do it. You totally should. Like, and if you feel like you need to have the job you're in for financial security, then do something on the side that brings you passion and joy. It doesn't mean you like work shouldn't be the only thing that brings you happiness, right? Like that's how I feel. Absolutely. And there's not one way to do it, right? We have a lot of shame, a lot of judgment about what we should be doing or shouldn't be, what where our dreams should or shouldn't be in our lives, what the role is that our job should play in pursuing those dreams or not. And the reality is life is absurd. We're all going to the mm -hmm. same place in the end. Mm -hmm. So just do what you got to do. Yeah. I love that. that. I love Before that. day work week, huge, huge fan, huge advocate. <laughs> you are not the first person on the show to say that. I think like down the road, we're going to be seeing more and more folks loving it and embracing it because I don't know, a lot of people don't realize the five day work week was also an invention, right? Henry Ford, like basically kind of invented it. And, you know, before then people were working way more. And when he invented it, 
that actually made productivity go up instead of down, like measurable productivity, right? I was just going to say that because I remember even working at like Betaworks back in the day, I had to be at my, I had an office job. Like I had to be at my desk from like 9am to 6pm. And I'll be honest, there was many days that I would sit there and be like, I'm pushing paper because I just got to fill the time here. Like, what if I only worked like six hours, I would have been so much more productive in those six hours rather than like, messing around to try to like fill the not eight hour and nine hour day right like get your list cross it off have like the passion projects that you work on and get out like i don't know amen amen <laughs> and with that moving on to the hr news flash so we talk about benefits sometimes high healthcare costs and financial stress are hitting all workers hard but new data finds that female employees pay as much as 15.4 billion dollars almost 20% more a year than men in out-of-pocket healthcare expenses, according to new analysis from consulting firm Deloitte. And that's excluding maternity claims, excluding maternity claims. So among people with commercial insurance, the value of benefits to women is more than 1.3 billion less than it is to men, the report found. What are your thoughts on that? I'm a woman and I think it stinks. <laughs> um, and oh. I, I, shocking. Um, I, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like companies need to work really hard to find fair, like, high, like healthcare packages for people, right? Like, even if you have a $0 plan that people can enroll in, it might not be the best plan, but they don't have to pay out of pocket every paycheck. Like, I think that goes a long way for people, especially you know, women at a minimum have to go to like the lady doctor once a year. Like that's an out-of-pocket cost. If you have to get a fancy test, that has nothing to do with maternity, right? Like these are extra costs. I don't think men have to go every year. I'm not sure. No, my husband never goes to the doctor. So um, just the normal physical, but yeah, not, not. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like, and you know, at least in my household, like my benefits tend to be better than my husband's plan. So I, I absorb all the costs for our family onto my medical plan. So I don't know if that's counted in this, but I think we need to like look at like families as a whole as well. It's not just like the individual. We need to look like family benefits as a whole and see what we can do for people and give them like benefits outside of just like the benefits packages. Like maybe there's a mental health partner or a fitness partner that you could throw in there to like soften the costs a little bit, you know? I love that. You know, we just literally enabled for the first time, um, you know, because we're a startup, we we haven't had anybody that, that needed to go on like any kind of paternity leave. And we just enabled a policy because, you know, we have some folks who are who are having kids. And first of all, internationally, standards are all over the place, mm-hmm. right? Like, and if you are looking at what is the letter of the law as your default, you run the risk of of just yeah offering something really crappy that's not gonna not only not gonna be competitive but it's not gonna honor your employees right mm-hmm. like there's you know it's like depending on you know who's birthing or who's not depending on you know if it's adopted totally. like you know people don't think about that but it's like okay like you should honor honor the time for the connection with with the baby then as well right of course even for, I mean fertility going into that also like if you're not counting maternity an equation like this but everything leading up to maternity or fertility treatments and so on and so forth like the cost is unmanageable for people I mean I had stellar insurance when I had my daughter and my hospital bill was still like seven thousand dollars like it's crazy it's crazy super crazy I remember you know you see the video where they talk about like showing people internationally what the cost of healthcare are in, in the U.S. right it's like 
you know, charging the line item, like how much does it cost to hold your baby? $40. It's like really. That is not not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. It's insane. Well, diving in with our reality check, this is our guest spotlight. I'm really excited to get your, your reality check. So your personal HR experiences, your best and worst, your real world context, and maybe what makes you different or unique when you think about others who've held your role before and uh, any words of of wisdom that you might be able to to share as you tell about your day-to-day as a people person. Yeah. I mean, I think you know me a little by now that I think I'm the on HR, HR person, because I have a potty mouth. So that's number one, <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> in it. all seriousness. Keep um, it real. Yeah, I want to be raw and real. And I want people to feel like if they come to HR, whether it's myself or someone on my team or someone that's affiliated with me, whether that's a manager I'm giving coaching to, what have you, I want you to get the real story. I never want you to feel like I'm just saying something to pacify you and move you away and get you out of my office or what have you. I want to have a real authentic conversation with you. And I want you to feel like you know that there's going to be an outcome, even if I don't have it right now, I will get back to you. We'll solve the problem together. Um, And I think that's a really big misconception of HR. Like I think HR is like the, the bad team, right? Like people are always like, HR is not your friend. Yeah. HR is not your friend. They're only looking at the company. I think that's changed a lot. I think the narrative has changed. I don't call myself HR. I call myself a people leader or an employee experience leader because I think it's all about the employee experience day to day. I've worked at some really, really, really terrible places in my career and some fantastic places that made me realize that there's the extremes in the workplace, right? Like, So I'm all about finding like the positive, but also being in the middle to represent the company, but advocate for the employees. And I think that's what we always have to do in HR. You have to look at the goals. You have to look at the big picture, but you have to make sure the employees feel seen and heard and you're doing the best for them because at the end of the day, they are making the company grow and move forward. And I don't know if you want to hear any horror stories, but we'll, we can get into Oh, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. I mean, absolutely. I want to hear the horror stories. No, I, I love that. Um, and in particular, like the, the, the real raw, authentic, et cetera. I mean, Authentic is overdone or whatever. Vulnerability is overdone, right? Like Brene Brown was, you know, whatever, several years ago, whatever. But um, no, there's an absolute truth and value and it takes courage and it takes vulnerability to continue to be open, authentic, raw, real, especially in a, in a people uh, leadership role because you're kind of like facing both sides and there's a little bit of a question at least on the side of the employee of, you know, does this person have my back? Right. Is this person actually going to do what's, what's right for me? And, and people forget that it's possible sometimes, not always, but it's possible sometimes to do right by both sides. Right. Sometimes. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in my career, and I don't want to affiliate one party to it, it's, it's everywhere, is making empty promises or saying like, yeah, we can make that happen. Just say, I don't know, or I don't know if that's on the the plan for the company, but be authentic with people, right? Just, I don't know what I don't know. If I just join an organization, I don't know if that's on the plan or are we going to have pay transparency? I'm hopeful, but I don't, I don't know if it's happening right now, but like give them something, right? These are the people that are working for you and you can't make them feel like they came to you and it just went into like a big void, right? You have to have something actionable at the end of the day. 
Yeah, the honesty of I don't know, you know, it reminds me, uh, there's a, a great book that I read several years ago, Give and Take, by Adam Grant, you know, who's now like the, I don't know, godfather of LinkedIn or something. Yes, I don't know. Yes, it's like yes. if, if I see, right, everyone's, but it, I mean, he writes great stuff. But um, one of the, the big takeaways that I remember from that book was they were talking about leaders and mm. types of leaders, and in particular, the types of leaders that are perceived to be the most positively. And in your gut, you might think that like a leader that shows like a ton of confidence and is like, this is how we're moving forward and has like clarity would be like the, the top kind of perceived leader. But it turns out that those that express receptivity and openness to being wrong, right? Those who, who, who are willing to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Those who are willing to say, I believe that this is the way, but if you see anything that suggests something else, tell me. Yes, that those that. leaders are much more well-received than the folks who are just like, okay, charge, you know, let's go, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like looking back at my career, having those collaborative discussions or those like aha moments together where like you go to somebody that you trust and maybe they don't know the answer, but you collaborate and you figure out a solution together is way more empowering for somebody that's a little bit more junior than like going in and getting like the confident talking to you. And this is what's going to happen. Like I'd rather sit there and be like, yeah, I did something cool. With my manager a lot just now, like, let's see where this goes. Like that's the kind of manager I want to be like every interaction I have with my team, we are in the trenches together. Like, they are individual contributors. I'm for sure an individual contributor, but I want them to see that I'm in the trenches with them. We're putting policies together, together, right? We're coming up with ideas together. If I feel like, eh, I step on someone's toes on this, let me go to them and make sure they're okay with me announcing something or what have you, right? Like you have to get team buy-in and you have to be collaborative with your team. And I think that's often missed, especially in the HR world. Absolutely. So speaking of things that are being missed, what do you think people misunderstand about your job or the space or something you see every day? Um, yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of misconception of, again, being like the bad department that's like the bearer of bad news. Unfortunately, HR has to do that oftentimes, but we're like the culture group. We're there to make things fun and light and like there's so much that happens behind the scenes that people likely don't know that HR people have their hand in. Um, even thinking about confirm, right? Like going through like the performance review process and like picking the right vendor for something like that. That takes so much time, right? Like mm -hmm. so much time. And then you have to figure out the plan to roll something out. It's what is the communication to my employees? Why are they doing something like this? Why are we spending time on this? What is the outcome going to be? Like everything has to be very thought out because you're not just in a people in HR role. You're really in an internal communications position, right? So like everything that you touch needs to be thought of from the seat of the employee. So there's so much like, my old PR hat goes back on with HR. I'm like, okay, how would this be seen, right? So I think there's, like, if I look at what my OKRs have been for the past three years, they're sad. Like, because nobody can actually know what I I'm doing behind the scenes, right? Like, I don't necessarily always want to tell people I'm doing a compensation analysis because just because I'm doing a compensation analysis doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere at that time. So like you don't want to get employees hopes up and things like that. So right. um, I think HR is way more strategic and doing way more than people may know and may give them credit for. I truly believe that the people teams and HR teams 
are completely driven by employee happiness. So if our employees are leaving or employees are complaining, we're not doing a good job. Um, and I don't think that should necessarily reflect always on like the executive team. I think HR needs to take a, uh, yeah, we should own that a little bit. Um, so we take that really seriously. And I don't know, that's the stuff that keeps me up at night personally. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I even saw recently um, a survey that came out that was talking about employee retention is now, again, top, not only top of mind, but the most important thing that HR leaders are are looking at and totally. caring about, right? And it makes sense because like, if you know, if your amazing employees leave, I mean, even, even if you're not, I mean, if any employee leaves, you know, it, it creates burden, it creates problem, it creates backfill, it creates all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love that you're, um, you're recognizing the unrecognized uh, <laughs> elements of, of HR. It's, it's, I've definitely, as I've been, you know, working with more and more people leaders uh, over the last several years, recognized that HR and just people leadership in general, probably, they're probably the most unrecognized, underappreciated group of people in, in terms of the full suite of both leadership and just categories of, of folks on the job, right? It, isn't it interesting how when you look at who becomes CEO at many organizations, you'll see chief P product officers, you know, become CEO. You'll see CFOs become CEO. You'll see chief operating officers and operations folks become C CEOs. But it is incredibly rare to see a CHRO or a chief people officer become CEO. And I kind of wonder, like, What's up with that? I think the narrative has, yeah, I think that has a change um, because even from like a budget perspective, HR is doing so much on like budgeting, right? Like headcount and compensation bans. So like we have that financial acumen to some degree, right? So I love that you just said that because it's like, but why not, right? And, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but um, HR has been primarily female for a long time, right? So maybe that's part of it. Like you never know, like females aren't always the first group that's looked at for like CEO positions. Leadership positions or all that. Oh yeah. That. I mean, it's so, like discrimination is real. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, uh, I was going to say I'll do it, but I don't want to be a CEO. I can tell you, I having tried to fundraise myself, I'm like, I really don't enjoy it. And yeah, yeah. been there. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I like to, these are the moments I like to flip the script, which brings us to the next segment, break the wheel or break a heel. You know, <laughs> I've had two uh, straight male employees ask me when they, when they go over the script, they're helping me out. They're like, what does break a heel mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love it because I think to myself, it's so obvious to me, but maybe it's because, you know, I have, I have, I will admit I've, I've done drag more than once before and oh. I have worn high heels. And it's freaking hard, number one. But number two, if you break a heel, you you know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy athleisure is in style. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. I believe that. So we're going to dive in with break the wheel or break a heel. So uh, I'm going to give you a topic. And that topic is workplace conversations and what is okay to talk about or not okay to talk about. So you're going to break the wheel if you're like, yes, this is good, innovative, positive. We want this or break a heel if, you know, it breaks a heel. So with that, number one, political elections, break the wheel or break a heel. I'm a little bit old fashioned. I was raised in a house that you don't talk about politics, religion, and money. So I'm going to say... Break the heel. I'm sorry. Break a heel. All right. Well, you know, there are definitely. <laughs> yeah, speak freely. Fostering 
connectivity and open conversations with no bias, 100%. Yes. But do I want you to put a flag of a political party on your desk and wave it? I prefer you didn't. Um, And HR, unfortunately, has to take the stance of we can't make a stance towards anything because we are in, if you're in the right workplace, I think we're an inclusive workplace and we want to make sure everyone is comfortable and has a space. That's a try to, that's what I try to do rather than like, yes, let's talk about this one party and all these great things that you're doing, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And at the same time, and this is, uh, I mean, we could spend like the whole rest of the time talking about Mm -hmm. this one thing to be totally honest, right? But you know, there's this philosophy that like neutrality is a stance and like neutrality Mm. supports the oppressor, Mm. if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely struggled with that, like, you know, maybe six years ago, shall we say, uh, you know, in the workplace where folks perceived that like, if you're doing nothing, you're part of the problem. And it's really hard to handle those situations because it's like, if doing something is a problem and doing nothing is a problem, then you feel pressure to take a stance. And this is why some organizations choose to take a stance is because right. of that perception, right? That doing nothing is, is part of the problem. But oh my gosh. And it's it's, pre- especially if you're, if you got people all over the map and you want them to work together, it's like, how do you do that? I mean, you know, and, and look at the last month, right? In our world, what a terrible environment to be in for anyone. And anyone can connect to, to anything there. And that's very hard to talk about in the workplace, but I would rather say we are a place where we stand for being there for one another um, and being supportive of one another, no matter what your background is, rather than say, we stand with this. That's my personal take on things because I want people to come to work and feel like they have a sense of belonging and that they can feel comfortable. But I have heard the opposing side, right? Like we need to take a stance on something. So it's just, it's tough, right? Like you're sort of, uh, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. And I would rather just try to keep the peace as much as I can as an HR leader, if that makes sense. Totally. And having empathy and holding space for the, this cognitive dissonance between keeping the peace, but being supportive it's it's not easy for anybody. So yeah. acknowledging that and let's move on to something <laughs> a little lighthearted because I'm about to like, I don't know, like yeah. uh, anyway. Uh, number two, romantic lives. Break the wheel or break a heel? Break the wheel. Talk about it. It's fun. As long as it's not like inappropriate. Like, I don't know, right? Like I, some of my besties were at, from work were at my wedding and we had the best time ever. Like to me, you spend so much of your time at work, like you're going to talk about your romantic life. And if it's something that's important to you, you should embrace it and talk about it. Just don't be not safe for work. That's how I feel. There you go. And if, you know, family means different things to different people and families look different to everybody. Yeah. So, you know, it's all good. I love that. All right. Medical problems. It was a tough one for me. Um, oh, I have to think about it. Medical problems. <laughs> If you had to make a choice, you know what I'm going to say. No, I'm going to go in the in the the wheelhouse of being vulnerable, and I'm going to say break the wheel. Um, I go to therapy every single week. It is on my calendar. It's visible Same. to everyone. I want everyone in my organization to know Same. it. Right? Like, love it. I don't necessarily it. consider it a medical problem, but some people might optically think that. But like, I don't care. It's important to me. So like, yes, love like it. I'm. I think you should. When we go into like other things, like oh, work didn't. 
let me work from home today because I had a stomach ache and I need to go through an accommodations process and it's a bigger picture. I think we keep that right. at home and we talk about that in sure. a more formal setting, but like, yes, vulnerable. Totally. You know, it reminds me that there are many organizations and many leaders that will may optimize as much as they freaking can to reduce risk, even sometimes at the expense of important conversations yep. where having a little bit of risk to be able to have an important conversation is actually worthwhile. I think it's it's fascinating that we're so trained to like minimize legal risk, minimize legal risk, minimize legal risk that there might be a sensitive conversation that in, introduces a hint of risk when you have it but it's actually a really important conversation to have. And sometimes it's worth the risk. Agreed. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. Number four, your finances, break the wheel or break the heel. Uh, uh, Break the Uh. wheel. Please. No, thank you. I'd really. (laughs) (laughs) What about with all the pay transparency stuff? I know. That's the hard part though. I mean, here, here again, like, um, I, again, I'm old. I grew up in a world. You don't talk about those three things, religion, money, politics. Um, trying not to be the traditional Italian that I am. Yes, I think pay transparency is incredibly important. It's one of my pillars as a people leader, like career ladders, pay transparency. But I think when it comes to your personal finances, which is I work at this company, I am in a SDR role. I make $55,000 a year. I can't afford my groceries. This place is really sticking it to me. No. Um, Mm. however, the conversation could be HR, um, do we have career ladders and pay transparency bans coming out? I think I might be underpaid. I've done my compensation analysis. What do you think? Let's have a discussion about it. Right. And then I will say to you, we're working on the SDR band and yeah, 55 is way under what you should be making. The band should be 60 to 80. Let's figure out how we level you up and get you there. Different conversation than walking into the lunch table and complaining to your colleagues about how you don't make enough money. That's my opinion. Totally. It sounds like you're saying like be constructive, not destructive. Yeah. I think there's a difference between entitlement mm-hmm. and being constructive about how you have discussions, like you said. So I deserve this because I have this title to me. Won't I don't think it's going to get you anywhere, right? Like, let's have a discussion about why we think we should be there and why you think your title should be different and why you think the compensation is unfair. Yes. But even if you came to me and said, I'm being paid unfairly, I should have this, I'm going to challenge you and say, okay, then come back to me. Let's do the research together and get you where you think you should be, right? There you go. So Absolutely. Makes sense. All right. Number five, your boss slash senior management. Break the wheel or break a heel. Well, what do we mean by that? (laughs) What do we mean by your boss? Talking at the workplace about your boss and talking at the workplace about senior management. Make Interpret as you will. Uh, I'd say break the heel. Uh, It's going to happen, right? But like, let's mitigate, let's mitigate it as much as we can. Like, isn't yeah. it funny how I didn't even say like negatively, but I am sure that that was like the implied assumption when I say talking about your boss or senior management negatively, right? Yeah, but like, like you, you immediately assumed it. I don't know. Yeah, because. I mean, you should have. I mean, because that's what I assume. I think that's what we all assume because I think, I don't know. This is just my perception. And I say this not hating my 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 boss view. I mean, do I have a boss? I, no. You know, we have investors. But <laughs> but but, but like, like a lot of people hate their boss. A lot of people hate their boss. A lot yeah. of people hate senior management. And sometimes it's cathartic to talk about it, you know? Well, I was going to say, um, 
Human nature is not to go up to somebody and be like, I loved Lauren's shirt today. Can you believe that shirt? It was beautiful. It's a, uh, can you believe that thing she said in the meeting? That was really stupid, right? Like we gossip. Totally. It's human nature, but like leave it for the NPS surveys that your company should be doing. Leave it for HR. If you're really having a problem, if I find out my team is gossiping, it makes me ill. Like just don't it's de-energizing. do it. Like, don't do it. Bring it to me, right? Let's we can gossip in a private room and we can figure out the solution, but like don't do it everywhere. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Moving on, we got the wheel breaker of the week. IKEA is reskilling its workforce. So this is an important news story because it marks one of the first times a big company has gained attention for addressing the changes AI is sure to bring. So IKEA recognizes that its call center staff will likely be replaced by bots that can answer typical customer service questions. Therefore, IKEA is training employees in that department to become interior design consultants to help customers tap into the company's burgeoning home improvement business. It's all about keeping humans relevant and employed in the age of the robots. What are your thoughts on that? I love it. I think IKEA has been so innovative forever, right? And they keep it up. I mean, it's just like, this is what all companies should follow, right? Like, AI can't do everything, at least not yet, right? So let's find places for people that are talented. We invest in our talent. We invest in hiring people. We invest in training and development. Like, let's keep people. I'm also just a big believer in, like, somebody's not a fit for the role that they're in, but they're awesome. Like, can we find something within the organization for them, right? Like, maybe they've been at the organization for a long time, or maybe they're just, like, that rock star of an employee, but they're not a good salesperson or whatever it is. Like, Talent is talent, right? Let's find a spot. Absolutely. I love like the idea of like somebody who's been in a call center for 10 years, then it being trained like to know where to put the Herbiflergen heap and flopper, you know, like I freaking love that. I love that. That's great. Well, yes, upskilling, embrace it. You know, if AI is coming, it's going to replace a bunch of jobs. Super responsible to help the folks that are being displaced to find something new and helping them upskill. So Yep. Nice job, Ikea. Kudos. Who preferred the kudos to you? I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, I heard about this. Um, I worked at a company a long time ago um, called Galvanize. And I don't want to misquote what they did, but they did have a client that had a lot of folks that were just not up to speed on technology. Um, and maybe they've aged out of their roles a little bit. And we went in and we retrained them. Um, so we gave them data science training or boot camp training or whatever. But that we were hired by the company because we knew that the people that were there in the seats were rock stars. And they just basically were like, we're not going to go hire young new people. We're going to train the people that have been here and have been committed and have been loyal. So they invested more money into that. And I just think that's such a, an awesome story. Super, super awesome story. And speaking of awesome stories, please share us the awesome story of wisdom by giving us your piece of HR wisdom or truth bomb, whatever you want to want to share, um, focusing on a solution rather than the problem maybe, and giving some listeners some practical advice. So what is the wisdom on the rocks that you want to share with everyone? Yeah, I think communication is just so overlooked. I think communication means so many different things or is defined differently at different organizations, but I feel like if you have a team of people that depend on you, you need to be communicating with them at a regular cadence, whether that's once a week, twice a month, whatever it is, but like talk to your team, put an agenda on the calendar in your invite where people could just 
dump their ideas and you can dump your ideas and just have conversations with people and communicate. Like, what have you been hearing from the executive team? Where can this person improve? Where are they doing a really great job? Like, don't wait for performance review time. Don't wait for um, something bad to happen or them not to do their job well. Like, be in constant communication so you can coach people. I just believe managers don't do enough coaching. To me, their job is to level people up, right? Like, and make sure individual contributors can contribute meaningfully. So I just think communication and transparency as much as you can give is really important and, and something I'm seeing and not happen as much as I would like necessarily past few years. Absolutely. Continuous feedback, continuous communication, continuous conversations, all super critical. And even though they themselves, because common misconception, some folks think that continuous feedback alone can enable you to assess the performance of your team. Like there is a place for performance assessment and continuous feedback, you know, tends to skew positives, especially if you're using it in tools. I say this knowing this because we have a tool that does it, right? Skews positive. You still need a place to be able to capture performance. Nevertheless, love that word of wisdom because, oh my gosh, how many, how many managers do you know who think that one-on-ones are optional and they cancel them when they're really busy? And it's like, Oh, well, that was going to be my next thing. I was also going to say, if you have a one-on-one schedule with your team member, I'm I'm so guilty of it and I'm, I feel terrible, but like, don't move it, right? If you have to move it, try to do it within like 24 hours beforehand. Like your team means something, right? So if you cancel something last minute or, oh, I'm stuck in a meeting or whatever, like again, guilty, but you make them feel really terrible. Like you make them feel like they're not important. So like try to be consistent and like, I will message my team members. If I don't see something on the agenda, I'll message them and say, do you have anything for me? I don't have an update for you this week. Happy to hop on a call and have a cup of coffee with you. Totally fine. Or we can cancel it. It's up to you. But give them the option. Don't just cancel it. Absolutely. Absolutely. How we spend our time as leaders is the most close approximation for how people perceive what we value. Yep. Right? And where we spend our time, right, is where we people see us valuing something or not valuing something. So (laughs) good call. All right. Next, this is one of my favorite segments. This is the what should I have done segment. And I do it basically for purposeful, intentional humiliation so that people want to keep listening to the show if they're not totally bored (laughs) out of their mind. I keep a, a workplace story that's real and I tell you what happened and what I did. And then you tell me what I should have done. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So Here's the story. So this is my first job. Well, actually, I was still in college. It was like a research job, a lot of programming, that kind of thing, um, a summer internship um, at a university. When I was there, I worked with three other colleagues, you know, other uh, folks that were around my age. And one of them had a habit as sometimes if you've ever taken a coding class or you ever tried to program, you might understand extreme frustration or really anybody who's had sure. you know issues with their computer, right? And so he uh, got frustrated and would throw electronics across the room. He would <laughs> scream at the top of his lungs. He would just burst out obscenities. Mm. Um, and he would never, like, punch a person. He would never take anything out on any of us as individuals. Mm. He would just be very vocal and, like, very scary in terms of just the ambiance of this room. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I so I – I said nothing to anybody because he wasn't causing me physical harm. I didn't want to get on his bad side. Honestly, that was my biggest fear was that I said something and then it got back to me, right? And I also knew that this internship was temporary, um, but it did feel like a hostile work environment. So I did nothing. But if you were me, what should I have done? 
Uh, this is funny. This is weighing heavy on me because um, I have a three-year-old daughter and she comes home from school sometimes and tells me, blah, 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 hit me or blah, 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 threw a toy or, oh. and she's a sweetheart. So it destroys me. Um, oh. And I just believe you have to speak up even in the fear of like potential retaliation. I, again, like you don't have to go to that person and say, please don't do that thing to me or you're making me feel uncomfortable. If you're not comfortable taking that step, go to somebody that's going to advocate for the, for the the group or for you, right? Go to the teacher or go to HR and say like, this is an uncomfortable situation for me. I don't want it to come back to me, but this isn't safe for anybody, right? Like, I just think speaking up is really important. In my daughter's case, I told her to wave her finger at the boy and say, don't do that to me. No, right? But I wouldn't do that in your situation. I would just go to somebody. A little sass is always good. Um, yes. I just think speaking up for yourself is important. And I just think this day and age where we're seeing all these terrible things happening um, in schools and in, in public places, I'm a big believer in if you see something, say something as cheesy in New York as that sounds. But if you feel like you're in an uncomfortable situation, I feel like you should draw to somebody's attention because you just, you never know, right? And also Absolutely. maybe, maybe and that person needed some help, right? You never know if you really just call out. supported them also. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think some of us might uh, feel like we don't want to, you know, quote unquote, take the risk. But the reality is, is that staying the way that things are is a risk in and of itself. Yeah, agreed. All right. Woof. Well, let's let's move on to something a little bit more exciting and scary with a horror story of the week. So please tell us your real life HR horror story and let us know what happened. Oh, this is a good one actually. This is perfect uh perfect timing because somebody reminded me of this the other day. I found out through a colleague this is a a, a couple of jobs back that we had sent over 75 people offer letters, but they were never countersigned by the company. So they were essentially null and void. Like they didn't mean anything. Um, that's not good, right? Like the employee can sign it, but then no one from the company did. And like, sure, you can get away with stuff like that. But it was just a weird chain of command and DocuSign. And so never came back to HR to make sure that it was done and recruiting was handling it. And just like, all of these things that <laughs> are scary from like a risk perspective, as we've discussed. Oh yeah. That is like a horror story. I'm like, ah! I mean, to me, like anything. Who needs ghosts? Yeah. Unsigned offer letters. Woo! I mean, it's scary. bad. I just think anything <laughs> is like, you send an offer a letter out, then what's the process after that? Right. Or like this happens, then what happens next? And then what happens that? And when is the case closed that we can say, our job is done. Like I have heard so many instances outside of this one. I mean, I've dealt with them myself. It's like, oh, we want to put somebody on a performance improvement plan. And people are like, well, I don't even know how to do that. How have we done that here? Where have we saved performance improvement plans? Have people signed them? Have we ever gotten the signatures back from the employee? Like these things that I'm like, oh my gosh, how is there not a process for this? Like, how do we not have employee files where we're keeping these things? Like just Let's get organized. That's my horror story personally. Horror, like we need consistency throughout the employee experience process. So if you do for one person, you have to do the same thing for the other. So make sure it's a scalable process. It's documented as cheesy as documentation sounds. 
do an audit of all your policies and procedures and make a Google Doc for everything. And then your wish list policies that you know you need to have that you don't have. Like, that is my nightmare if I join an organization. Like, oh my gosh, they didn't do anything, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Coming into anything as like a really organized person, like it's like, oh my God, it's like Marie Kondo walking into, actually, you know, yeah. she loves mess, but I would not love that mess. Okay. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> I'm frightened. Let's move on. The wobbly wheel of the week. So Rank and Yank is back. TikTok wants more workers rated in near the bottom. TikTok's senior management and staff in HR are telling managers across the world to assign more performance reviews at the lower end of the company's bell curve. <coughs> bullshit. Sorry. I'm saying it. We all know <laughs> bell curve is bullshit. Talent follows a power law. Google it. Anyways, bell curve rating system, a move that staff fear could reduce bonuses and lead to layoffs. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no. I mean, same performance reviews for everyone. Like, consistency is key to me. Do it quarterly, do it twice a year, do it once a year. I don't care. But, like, of course people that are newer are not going to perform well. They're still ramping up, right? Unless it's, like, like they need more time. Like, that's unfair. I know. I think consistency is key. Just keep it consistent. Have a calendar. Keep it going. Ongoing feedback. I don't love that. Absolutely. And like looking at talent, you know, I mean, not a lot of performance platforms do this, right? But something that we care about a lot is looking at at talent over time, like tenure, right? Like as you're more tenured at an organization, you're likely to get more recognition, more influence, you know, more, more signs that you're contributing. And if you see somebody that's been around for a really long time that doesn't have that influence or, or, and maybe is in an otherwise influential role, or you see somebody who just started and they're super influential, like, those are things to pay attention to. So good to measure it if you can. Yeah, and I think you can. <laughs> you can if you use a certain product. All right. Uh, we're almost going to wrap up. I have a couple other segments here. Number one, um, so I'm going to I'm gonna do a little uh, water cooler whispers question. Is there any word on the street that you've heard? Any rumors that you want to share with the group? Any water cooler whispers? Oh, my. I don't know. Is there? Oh, you know, this return to office thing is just not stopping. So I think there's a lot of whispers about that. Amazon now wants people in the office three times a week, I think it is, or something like that. I just, yeah. you know, I have a hard time. They need to get over it. I feel like everybody, it's like not a whisper to like the folks on the floor. It's like, no, uh, return to office, not like remote work is a thing and it's going to be a thing forever. Yeah, and, and I like think companies people to have to, it, to right? choose their own path, right? Like I think exactly give some people guidelines. Yes, absolutely. Um but I'm hopeful that we've proven we're adults in some capacity and we can be productive. Like productivity was incredibly high during COVID and let's keep it moving. So I, I hear a lot about that. I don't know where I live on it yet. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle, to be honest with you, but I don't know if it's going to last this return to office thing. So I'm, I'm here yeah. right now. We'll see. <laughs> totally fair. If you want to learn more about that, um, Google Nick Bloom. He's a, a Stanford professor who's actually collaborating with us. And he's like one of the, He's like the guy on remote work, return to office, and like the research on it. Okay. You'll find a lot of interesting things on there just for you and for the audience. Very All right. There you go. HR speak funny. So we pick a random term uh, that people use and we make fun of it. So today's term <laughs> is golden parachute, a substantial benefits package given to top executives in the event that they lose their job due to a company being acquired or merged. So first of all, who invented the term golden parachute? Because if it's made from gold, you ain't going to survive. Number one. <laughs> I just watched Succession. I never watched uh-huh. it. And they uh-huh. use golden parachute very often in that show. So 
I think it's. Did like, anyone jump out any windows with some gold and like? I think one did at one point. And anyway, uh, <laughs> I haven't watched it, so okay, fair I enough. Don't like I, I don't like anything that separates people from the rest of the bunch, right? Like it just seems like uh, yeah. ooh, golden. Like they're the special ones. Their executives are getting the best package. Like, how about a nice? Well, all I can say is, if you get a golden parachute, I hope that it's real gold because then if you use it, you are not. You are gonna hit the ground, okay? <laughs> you got a golden parachute and it's real gold. You gotta hit the ground real fast, and that gold's going to your next of kin, okay? That's all I'm gonna say. Hopefully, it's you. Moving on. <laughs> there you go. Moving on. Decline to comment. So you're gonna pick one of these to decline, and I'm not gonna tell you the order, and we're just gonna start with the first one. So decline to one of them. You gotta answer the other two. Number one. What employer treated you the worst? Decline. All right. That means we got two more. We got two more. Here we go. What was the drunkest you've ever been at a work function? Uh, So I have a rule that I don't have more than two drinks at a work function because I have been incredibly drunk at a work function. Um, I used to, (laughs) as part of what I used to be. Yeah. Uh, I used to work in PR and had lots of fancy parties some including former vice presidents at television networks I worked at. And I used to drink a lot of vodka, Grey Goose on the Rocks with... Uh, they call know, that gay water, by the way, which I dad, used to have all the dad, time. Dad, my, my current husband had to carry me out of a party over his shoulder and woke up Ooh. with him having his back turned to me. So oh we don't drink God. at parties anymore, especially <laughs> in HR. All right. There you go, especially HR. But, you know... At every HR convention, all I could say is HR knows how to, how to have fun. Okay. HR Number within, three. Within HR is fine. But within HR. Everyone. Oh, yes. But not secrets exactly. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And number three, well, speaking of secrets, what was the biggest secret you've ever kept from your coworkers? Oh, man. Oof. Probably. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> you only got to pick one. No. Uh, <laughs> Being pregnant, maybe. Yeah, being pregnant. That's a big one. That's a pretty yeah, big we'll, one. We'll that's a pretty big that's one. Yeah. Sometimes I'm, hard to hide for like some folks. Well, I was at COVID, but in the beginning of COVID, uh, you know, showing a little bit and uh, honestly afraid to get fired. That's a, a true female sure. fear. So True female fear. That. Absolutely legit. There you go. Awesome. Well, with that, we are about wrapping up. I want to say cheers to change. Want to call out extended overtime. You know, the U.S. Department of Labor is proposing a significant extension of overtime that could impact millions of workers. President Joe Biden's administration wants to increase the cutoff below which most salaried workers automatically receive time and a half overtime pay. Under the proposed rule issued by the Labor Department, the cutoff for receiving overtime pay after 40 hours a week would rise to about $55,000 a year from about $35,500 a level that was set during the Trump administration. So with that, Lauren, it's been fantastic. Thank you for celebrating this fun, joyful time with Break the Wheel. I hope you have a wonderful, happy rest of your year and uh, wish you well. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Break the Wheel podcast. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Join us again for more insightful conversations.